0: When we sang this morning, uh, it really hit me that uh, how in tune that particular uh, content was to not only where we are in a sermon series, but really where we are in the reality of our church. Something's happening here. And I don't say that, you know, to make a sermon point, I, and I don't say it to to try to um, you know, uh, provoke emotion, that's kinda not my, not my style. I just sense that God is doing something. Uh, and as I began to study this week, really, truly, it's a phenomena when, you are, when, you're, when you're beginning to study the word of God. You set out a path and you say, okay, this is going to be our topic, hopefully you've prayed about that, and et cetera, for those of you that, that have done what I'm doing this morning. But then you really are leaning on God to navigate. And often it navigates to places that you didn't expect. And this is where it lands today. And I think that, th- that this is a critical place for us as a church in the best of ways. Because what I'm going to speak about and where it landed today that I didn't anticipate is this word that kind of probably conjures up a very different images in your mind. The, the, image, the, the, the word is revival, the, the word revival, uh, for me, sometimes has this picture of a big tent, uh, some very high-energy, emotional evangelist, uh, hot, sweaty, a lot of people emotional and making emotional moves and all, all that. And, and that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. I've been in plenty of those tent meetings. They're kind of waned as time has gone on, but, uh, but I, I, you know, God moved in that way. Some of you may think of, of large movements. Uh, there have been revivals, awakenings, so to speak, and across countries, including ours, the Great Awakening and, 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 uh, and Great Britain, et cetera. But I believe that what we see today uh, in reality is pockets of reviving, awakening of God, that where He's breathing in to a group of people. I believe that you could have, and if you're in a small group here in our church, a connect group, you might, you might experience in that, in that group a sense of awakening and being revived, that God a, a enhanced and accentuated, more intense movement of God. Perhaps it happens in your, in your family. I'm detecting something that we have the opportunity. I'm not saying that we are a, under a sense of being uh, a, a, awakened right now, but I feel on the edge of that. How do, why do I say that? I, I say that because I'm, like, in the last couple of weeks, there have just been pockets of people gathering for prayer. Uh, sometimes we say, hey, we're going to have a prayer meeting. Great. But when God begins to move, you can't help but not to pray. And I do believe that uh, that that churches can have the opportunity to to be awakened and to experience a deeper a deeper level, like when we just sang together. Spirit, take us to a, a new depth. But in the scripture, there is a prerequisite. There's something that happens before that. And this is the surprising place that I feel God has taken us there. It can happen in your own personal life, by the way. But today I'm going to talk about it collectively. It doesn't have to do with how great a strategy you have. We work a lot on strategy. It doesn't have to do with communicating that strategy. We do an okay job at communicating our strategy, just being honest with you. It doesn't have to do with getting the right staff in place, the right pastors in place, the right group leaders in place. All of those things are important. I don't disagree with that, but there's, that they will not bring the awakening of God. There's something that brings the awakening of God, and that's what we're going to look at today. So let me begin like this. Uh, in our culture, we, we would say bigger is better. Right. In other words, hey, I got a bigger house. I got a, I got a bigger job. I got a bigger office. I got a, a bigger car. I got, you know, I got some chocolate chip cookies, and the chunks are bigger than I, they used to put in them. You know, I mean, so we think, oh, that's really great. Bigger is better. Smaller is not always that great. I've got a smaller office now. I've got a smaller car now. I've got, to, I have to downsize. Not a great word, you know. I'm gonna have to make things smaller. My budget smaller, et cetera. But in the cooking world. Smaller can be better. It's this thing called reduction. And if, you're a, if, you're, if you cook any amount of time, that you know that, there, that the reduction, let's to take a balsamic reduction, is that you take something that's kind of thin and liquidy, etc., and then you let it simmer, and you reduce it. And when you reduce it, it becomes richer. The flavors become more intense. It becomes thicker. So, we watch a gajillion cooking shows, and I feel like I'm gaining weight by looking at the shows, by the way, just, I don't know, there's something weird happening. And so, as I, you know, they always say, okay, we're going to put the lid on it, we're going to reduce it. And so, this is, I don't want to say often, it is the prerequisite to having a, a, re, a revival, a, an awakening, a deepening movement of God that we cannot go higher in our own selves and expect God to move. It's always when we go lower and we are, and we reduce ourselves. In the context of our conversation about transitions, transitions have a way of reducing us. I'll be real honest. I've been reduced here in the last six months or so. Uh, not in a bad way. I still have the same size office, my car, can't get too much smaller, uh, but reduced in, in, a, in a way that I'm finding is difficult if you interviewed balsamic vinegar, and I have, just kidding, and you said, hey, how's it going when you're simmering over that heat for so long? You can't, redu- you can't microwave balsamic vinegar and get a reduction it has to be over time. It has to be a, 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 at a kind of a low heat. And when we get to that reduction and it doesn't feel great, but there is something that I'm going to call today a beautiful, the, the, the beauty of reduction. Reduction. Because we get to see things when you're being reduced, maybe on a personal level. We're going to talk on a church level. We've talked a lot about personal level uh, for the last few weeks, and I'm talk, try, talking about you people. We're going to talk about church. I'm just okay. <laughs> you, you may be experiencing this a long simmer in your life, and nobody would raise their hand and say, man, that feels great. I love this. I love being reduced. But there is something that is so deep and beautiful and being reduced and being simmered that comes out of it. We're gonna take a look at that. We're gonna be in Numbers chapter 11 today. If you have your Bible, we're not moving out of that chapter. We'll be there the entire morning, our entire time. Numbers chapter 11, just to review, if you have a device, it might wanna pull it up, otherwise we'll have the Bible verses up on the screen. Uh, let me remind you that in Numbers 10, it was a significant chapter in the history of Israel. They had been at Mount Sinai. God was saying, now it's time to move on. So we're just one mile out, you know, one chapter out. And then the people began to complain about the cuisine. But in the Bible, there, is, there are pictures. And even the New Testament tells us that the Old Testament is giving to us pictures of reality, so often when you see the brazen serpent or you see the uh, Passover lamb or, you know, the blood on the doorpost and all these, these are pictures of a greater reality, okay? So when you're reading, especially in the Old Testament, you have to be reading through those lenses, what is God picturing for us? And otherwise, you'll just look at it as a bunch of ritual and whatnot, okay? Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, I love the first, uh, first couple words, the rabble, The rabble are those that were complaining and whining and griping, et cetera. The rabble. The rabble with them began to crave other food. Keep in mind, we're looking at pictures. We're not just talking about cuisine. They began to crave other food, and again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt at no cost. Of course, you were servants, you were slaves. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. And we never see anything but this manna. Now the manna was a picture of... For us later, uh, it was like a, a bread from heaven, uh, to, to lack of a better word, it pictures the word of God. When a, when a country, when a church, when a group, when a person has lost their appetite for the bread of God, for the word of God, then that group, that person, that church, that country is in desperate need for the blowing of the wind of the Spirit of God to bring awakening. It is sudden death. It is the kiss of death in our own life. If you're sitting here today and it's like, man, I haven't picked up my Bible in, in a long time, this is not a guilt trip. But I think you might, if you're honest, say, gosh, I, I have this sense of staleness, perhaps. A sense of uh, um, uh, uh, this lack of Energy towards God, this lack of rhythm, this lack of passion in in your life. And so this is just across the board with any human being. So it's not, you know, God's not singling you out, but across the board that that when we subtract and the word of God and we lose our appetite for it, that doesn't mean that you're super disciplined. And you make sure you read the U version chapter every day. But that I'm ta- we're talking about man. I want to read the Word of God, and when that begins to to, to to happen, then it becomes necessary for us to simmer to God to for God to bring us to a beautiful reduction, so that we begin to see things differently. Okay, now Moses then asks questions throughout this chapter that will give us the beauty of the reduction? What happens when we're willing to reduce ourselves because we see things different? In the 10th verse of Numbers chapter 11, Moses heard the people of every family wailing, each at the entrance to the tent, to his tent. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled, and now he asked a bunch of questions. He asked the Lord, why? Have you brought this trouble on your servant? He's speaking of himself. God, now he's angry with God. Why have you put me in this position where you've brought trouble on me? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on little old me? Did I conceive these people? Did I give birth? Was I there in the labor room giving birth to three, three million people? Did I give them birth? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. Here he goes. I cannot carry All these people by myself, the burden is too heavy for me. He has now reached that point. Ever reached it? I have had it. And you're just like super honest with God. I can't do this. Why did you ask me to do this? And I can't do it all by myself. And then God answers every question that Moses has. And God comes along and says, no problem, no problem. Sometimes in a transition, we have talked ourselves into thinking that all the organization rests on me. All your family woes and issues rest on your shoulders. And if it weren't for you, then man, this whole thing would fall apart. Now, I grew up in the South, and when we got a, uh, it's such a politically incorrect word, we got a spanking when we grow up. God spanked me with this this week. And all the things that are happening around the world and in the church, I have had the same conversation with God. And maybe you have too. I'm just being honest so you can be honest. God, how am I going to get this done? Blah, 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 blah. And then God comes along. Oh, no problem. Watch this. In verse 16 of Numbers 11, the Lord said to Moses, okay, bring me seven of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting. That's where God intersected with people that they may stand here with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them which equalizes their power, that it didn't rest on Moses alone. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. So let me give you some principles along the way. If you look at the screen, When we reduce ourselves, we increase the room for others. Are you carrying something, your organization, your ministry, your family, your work, and you think that it all rests on you? And the minute we think that it all rests on us, God is going to say, You in my seat. That's Southern, by the way. Some of you from the North, like, What did he say? I don't think that was grammatically correct. You're in my seat. <laughs> Translation. You're in my seat. All things, God would say, rest on me. And if we we're a mega church and all the you know, if if the mega pastor and the mega evangelist, you know, drops dead or whatnot, and the whole thing falls apart, then it is not God movement. God's movement happens when God's people become empowered to do things equally. This is not my church, your church, his church, this is our church. And so when God moves, people say, God, put me in the game. When, listen, this becomes a spectator sport, we cannot ever expect the movement and the awakening of God. Some of you, let me step on some toes, have waited too long to get involved. It's time. It's time. It doesn't matter. You say, hey, this is not my church. Good, get out. Just kidding. (laughs) Just playing. That's playing. (laughs) Some of you say, it's not my church. Great, pick a church. But get involved at that church. ABC Church down the street. Great, go there. I bless you. Go there, but get involved because God's movement happens when everyone pitches in, makes sense? We're such a consumeristic uh, culture that man, we just, it just eats into church as well. I invite you into the awakening of God, but it does take an oar in the left and an oar in the right whew, and get involved. Then what happens is Moses asks another question. In verse 21, Moses said, Here I am among 600,000 men on foot. That didn't count the women or the children, or those that were teenagers. Here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say, God, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Question, would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? Moses began to doubt the capacity of God. This is the danger of a church like ours that really pours a lot of time into strategy. I'm, a, I'm just being super honest today uh, because I just woke up angry and I just need to let it out to somebody. I'm <laughs> t- totally kidding. Totally kidding. <laughs> no, it's... When you, I, I believe in human effort for the glory of God. We, we put all of our muscle into everything, truly. And, and, and when you do that, though, there can be this little reversal. So it just seems so subtle. But you can think it's our strategy, our building, our this, that, and the other, and it's not. And as God has been reducing me, I've seen the need to say, man, you got to let other people do it. I'm I'm training another church here in town with our small circle disciples. I'm bringing people with me. We have people all over the world. I just got a call to go to Nicaragua. I just turned down four countries in the last two months. Come to Nicaragua. I called the guy in Cuba. I'm like, I want you to go to Nicaragua. Come to Spain. That was a hard one to pass up, just to be honest with you. I called the guy in Ukraine because it's a Russian church over in Spain. I'm like, I want you to go. I wanted to go. Everything in my, my strategy and everything, I wanted to go because I think I do it better. How about that for a confession? And God says, you're in my seat. <laughs> so I'm going to simmer you on down so that you can see in a way that I can actually move. Is that honest enough? So in a church, when we got strategy, which I think we should have, and excellence, which I think we should have, let's be careful that we don't ignore the capacity for God. At the end of the day, it's God. This is what happens when God simmers you down. Watch this. God comes along in the next verse, 23, and the Lord answers Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see whether or not what I say will come true for you. Moses is like, if we caught all the sea, you know what God would say? I know where the big ones are. I don't need one of those little fishing GPS things, you know. Watch this. Here's the next principle. When we reduce ourselves, we increase our awareness of God's capacity. Then Moses said in verse 29. Uh, so people came and and they ran to Moses and they said, Hey, there's other people you know doing what you do. They're taking your job, man. They're prophesying, they're teaching, they're speaking about God, they're they're doing all these things. And then he Moses asked a question again in Numbers eleven twenty nine. 29. Are you jealous for my sake? As if this was my story? This was about me? I wish that I am I. I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would put his spirit on them. Then God's going to move in an army of quail. Watch this. Remember, the Old Testament is a book of pictures. In Numbers 11, 31, now a wind went out from the Lord. Bring any pictures to mind for those of you who know the Bible? Acts chapter 2. It was like a mighty rushing what? Wind. When Jesus, in John chapter three, was explaining the spirit of God, it's like the what? The wind. No man knows where it goes. When God created Adam, he breathed on him, the huach, which is the word for wind. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail and from the sea and brought them down around the camp to about three feet above, their three feet deep, as far as a day's walk in any direction. There became a movement of God. The message I think that God would have for us today is a hard one. Maybe for you in your own personal life, it's a hard one. If you've been to 360 for any amount of time, you'll know not to expect to come and, hey, let's just talk about love, joy, peace, and butterflies. Because, and all those things are fine and and nothing wrong with them, except the butterfly part, (laughs) But I think this generation in 2019 and I feel with our church is like, hey, we want God. We want the real deal. And I'm guessing if you took the time to get up early and get ready and be here that you want God. You didn't come for just a church service. You really came to meet with God. And the toughest chapter of your life you need God. When God reduces you and begins to simmer your life, there is this paradigm, and it is the paradigm of Jesus. When you lose your life, you find it, and you begin to see things in a more beautiful, reduced way. And I believe that when, if, if we collectively will allow God to simmer us, and bring us low, then we can expect the wind of God to begin to move in even a deeper way. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal in American culture in 2019, just to be honest with you, it's a big deal. I'm not saying it's gonna happen. I'm not saying it's, I'm saying that if it were to happen and we're continuing to see God move, we must be in that position. And listen super, super carefully. I know you're sitting in a room with a few hundred people and everything, but you count. You count, you count, you matter. It's not like, hey, I hope they do it. No, you matter. I matter. It matters to that we simmer together. Jesus came on the scene. Man, things were getting. World was getting ready to change. John the Baptist was his kind of his MC, so to speak, kind of the the front runner. The to get the crowd ready so uh, you know, in, in those terms. And he said these words as you might remember in John chapter uh, three and verse 30, he must become greater and I must be reduced, I must become less. You could put a couple ifs in there, if and then. If God is going to be greater, then I must be reduced. The third and final principle is this, when we reduce ourselves, we increase our excitement about God's movement. It's not about us, it's about God's movement. We're gonna have communion today. Communion, the Lord's Supper, represents so much in so many ways and so many different angles. But I'm reminded today in Philippians chapter two and verse seven and eight, that Jesus made himself nothing. No one else did it for him. When I remember the words that we just saw of John the Baptist, he said, he must become greater, I must become less. That become word is a progressive word. It's not like all of a sudden, you know, I must become, I, I must b- become something and all of a sudden I'm that. It is a simmer. Become is a simmering word. So watch this. When Jesus uh, it says he made himself nothing. He became nothing in this process, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the death, even the death on the cross. Even Christ made himself. Even Christ humbled himself. It wasn't anyone else that could do it for him. It was Christ who said, I must reduce myself on the verge of a movement of God and the Holy Spirit around the world. He Himself had to be reduced to the cross, to being uh, in the appearance of man. He reduced the God of this universe, reduced Himself beautifully for all of us so that the movement of God would change the entire world. God Himself. God Himself. So as we come to worship today through the Lord's Supper, what we, I invite you to remind yourself of the beautiful reduction of Jesus Christ who saw the world as it was, wasn't willing to turn a blind eye and reduced himself on a cross to die for us with all of our stupidity, all of our mistakes, all of our ignorance, all of our fractures, our bruises, all of the hidden things that would shame us if we had to get up and tell anybody else, all of those things, Christ reduced himself for us on a cross in such a beautiful way to cover us and to cleanse us from sin. Have you allowed Christ to cover you if you've never come to that place in your life, to say, I want to be reduced by God in such a beautiful way. I want to take myself out of it, and I want God to infuse himself into my life. We come to this table, all Christ followers are welcome at these tables, and we come today reminding ourselves, this is a time of remembering, reminding ourselves of the beauty of the reduction of Jesus for us, and then it's a commitment time. and as we're worshiping and 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 uh, and remembering Christ, we also commit ourselves. God, what do you want to reduce in my life? Is it ego, is it strategy? is it dependence on myself? Is it a lack of uh, 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 of thinking of your capacity or do I need to now put some hands on the oars of my church family? Do I need to, to like get, I, I want revival, God, in my own life and in our church and even perhaps beyond that. Maybe that's your prayer today. I invite you. Today we're going to worship as we come to the, these tables. We've put five tables around the room today. You'll see two here. You see two in the the back corners, one in each one, and then there's a table right in the center in the back. Here's what we're going to invite you to do today. During worship, we're not going to get in a line and form a line like we normally do. During worship, we invite you to a table uh, that's in your vicinity, and you can move when, when you feel like, you know, we don't have to get up at once, but move when God moves you. You, we invite you to take communion at the tables and to t- take the bread and the juice. You can bring your family together, huddle with your family, your friends, your, your group, whatever that might be. And then if you'll just take the little plastic cup, there's a trash can beside each one, and then you can go back and, and participate in worship. So you can worship before, worship during, worship after. We want just to allow God to, to freely move uh, with us today. May I pray with you? Father, thank you so much for messages that really are long play messages from the Word of God. These are not not messages that uh, necessarily, as human beings, we like to hear because it does require some heat. But you do put us in positions, Father, to, to see things differently. And today, that's what we're asking. We're asking God as we come and remember Christ, where he sat at a table and said, this bread represents my body that's going to be reduced to be broken for you. This juice that is, is representative, a picture of my body as it flows out of my 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 flesh as it flows out of my veins to be reduced in humility before the whole world this is what we remember today and as we come father you can have our heart being reduced is not something that we would choose ourselves but it's but we must Christ humbled himself so we humble ourselves, each of us, each of us count, God. We'd love to see your awakening, God, with, with no part on our own, but you've, you've asked us to, to become less so that you can become greater. So this is what we remember today as we worship together and we remember Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.